What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Dave Rugamoza here. Welcome back to Founder Friday. It's been kind of a crazy week here at the Proof Office in Austin. It's been South by Southwest Festival here this week, which basically is this huge music, tech, and film festival that kind of takes over the whole city. Our office is right downtown on 6th Street. And so we actually had everybody work remote for the better part of this week here. And it's been a little bit crazy, but it's been a lot of fun. It's fun to live in a city where the world comes to you and the city that is a place where people and the movers and the shakers come through and they visit and you get to meet cool people because of that. That's not something that we had when we were in Annapolis, Maryland a year ago. And so all that being said, it's, it's nice to actually have a place that kind of disrupts work. But that being said, it's Friday. It is the end of the week here, and the conference is almost over. And so I want to get right into it here. I want to talk to you about how to become a better thinker, how to have clarity of mind, how to have clear thoughts that you can build a framework for action around. And I think this has been one of my greatest weapons over the years and something I'm working at frequently and definitely have a long way to go. But I want to kind of take you inside a framework for thinking that has really assisted me in running proof and assisted me just as an entrepreneur. And I think will be really, really, really helpful to you too, because as I've studied this more, I've realized this has been how some, if not most of the great minds in history have thought. And so recently I've been rereading the book Principles by Ray Dalio, which is just a fantastic book. It's a book I read um, about a year ago and really resonated with how I was already thinking, but kind of put some more terminology to it and took it to the next level. But if you haven't read the book Principles, it's awesome. Check it out. I think it's like a number one New York Times bestseller. But it's just Ray Dalio, the CEO of Bridgewater, that kind of breaking down all the different principles and almost algorithms that he uses in life to run and manage all the decisions that he makes. And so it got me thinking a lot more about principles and how to think and how to run your life based on principles. And today I want to talk about first principles thinking. And I first learned about first principles thinking from Elon Musk, who I think illustrates this really, really well. See, in 2002, he began this journey to Mars. But the problem was, is he was thinking, we need to get the human population off of a single planet and onto a second planet. Mars is the obvious solution. He started researching it, and rockets cost an insane amount of money, upwards of you know, 40, 50, even $65 million for single-use rockets that you shoot off and they aren't usable again. And he's thinking, well, that's, that's insane. You know, what, what really can a rocket consist of? What are, the, what are the parts? And so he used this physics framework to start from first principles. And he asked, if I break apart a rocket into individual components, what's really there? What, what's truly there? Because I, he knew about physics. He knew about manufacturing. He wanted to know what was really kind of underneath all of this. And he kind of broke it apart. And he said, well, there's an aerospace-grade aluminum alloys. There's some titanium, copper, carbon fiber. And then he asked, what's the value of these materials on the commodity market? So what's the actual price of these things? And he found that it turned out that the material cost of a rocket was only about 2% of the typical price. The markup was all in the manufacturing, the assembly of the parts, the research, the R&D of it, but really you broke down a rocket and it wasn't that expensive. And thus, SpaceX was born out of first principles thinking that he said, we could do this better. If we could vertically align the entire manufacturing process, 
buy the materials ourselves, engineer it, build it, we could cut down the price. And so after lots of prototyping and testing, they quickly cut the price down to about 10% of the existing price. And SpaceX has been dominating since. And so what first principle thinking really is, is it involves deconstructing the problem down to its core elements and then building up from there. And so what is a first principle? First principle is just the basic assumption that cannot be reduced any further. No assumption. It's reduced down to the core truth that you can say, we know this is true, or at least we're reasonably sure that this is true. And the key here is to step back and ask yourself, what are we absolutely sure is true here? And here's a thought experiment I found that John Boyd, he's a famous military strategist, he used to explain how to think from first principles. And so imagine three scenes. Scene one, a motorboat towing a skier behind it. Two, a military tank rolling across the desert. And three, a bicycle cruising down the street. Got it? You with me? Okay, so now using first principles thinking, break those three scenes apart into their constituent parts. And what do you have? For the motorboat, you have a hole. You have a motor. You have skis. For the tank, if you take that apart, you have treads. You have a cannon. You have armor plating. And for the bicycle, you have wheels, handlebars, gears, and a seat. And so if you took all of those things apart and you had those all in just this one big pile, what could you theoretically create that is a whole and useful creation? How could you reassemble those in a way that is helpful? I think there are many answers here, but one answer is a snowmobile. And by combining the treads from the tank, the motor and skis from the boat, and the seat and handlebars from the bike, you could you know, maybe add the cannon onto the back if you wanted to, and you'd have yourself a pretty sweet snowmobile. And John Boyd calls this snowmobiling. And it's an incredibly powerful mental tool that consists of observations. You observe, hey, what do we have here in this problem? Deduction into individual truths, break this down, say what is really true here, what's available in its individual component parts, and then reassembling the parts into a greater whole. So this is called snowmobiling, and I use snowmobiling frequently at Proof. I want to give you some examples. I think another great example of first principles thinking happened in 2007, something you're all aware of. It's the iPhone versus the BlackBerry. Up until the iPhone came out, everybody had a pretty good idea about what a phone looked like. It had a keyboard, it had a small screen, and that was it. And you'd kind of make the screen maybe a little bit bigger if you could. You'd make the keyboard a little bit, you know, add more keys. This is what BlackBerry did. They had the full keyboard on there. Everybody was just kind of iterating on this idea. And then Steve Jobs came around and he said, okay, let's break this thing down. What really am I trying to accomplish with a phone here? And he ended up coming with a full screen that looked totally different than every phone that was ever created. And it was just this quantum leap forward. It was building up a phone from first principles instead of just iterating on incremental improvements. And in startups, if you do the, the very same thing as everyone else, there's not going to be any margin left. There's no meat on the bone. It's already stripped off the bone. There's no room to create arbitrage and create value if you just copy and just incrementally do what everybody else does. The real key in a startup and in so many areas of life is to break it down and use first principles thinking. Now, what most people do, kind of the opposite of first principles thinking, is called reason by analogy. They say, 
well, this is like something else. And rather than doing all the mental energy to break it down and build it up from there using first principles, they say, well, it's like something else. So I'm going to assume it's you know pretty much similar to that. I'm assuming it works basically the same. In startups, you see people say, we're the Uber of blank. And people start off and they say, well, Uber's a great company. And I want to be like Uber. And so, you know, Uber has cars already. But what if I took the Uber model and applied it over here? What if I applied it to houses? What if I applied it to online storage? What if I applied it to anything else? And that's reason by analogy. And what it fails to do is break the problem apart into first principles and build up from there and even decide, does it need an Uber model? You know, does the Uber model you know, only work for cars or specifically work for cars? And what's not true of the Uber model that should be true of my startup or my idea here? It's really lazy thinking to just kind of come at it and say, hey, we're the Uber of cars. And that's reason by analogy. It's really dangerous. You know, I do it all the time in my life. I do it in a lot of areas of my life. But to really create massive amounts of value, you're probably not going to do it by reason by analogy. Reason by first principles doesn't look at Uber to start. And I think here we've got to think about the trade-offs of when do I innovate and when do I imitate? Innovation versus imitation. And starting out as an entrepreneur, I've been doing this about five years now, I just imitated. I really didn't have my own voice. I didn't have my own thoughts in this space. I was really playing a small game. I just needed a small reward. I had left my job. I was working at this campus ministry at the University of Missouri, and I needed to just make about $6,000 a month so I could just live. So I started this digital marketing consulting business, and it wasn't anything fancy. I was just kind of copying what other consultants were doing. And I just needed this little small reward. And, and in fact, that's all I was going to be able to get. You can't just offer the same thing as everybody else and reason by analogy and say, hey, that agency looks good. I'm going to do something very, very similar. You're going to make a very small and similar reward. And as I've grown, as I've developed as an entrepreneur and kind of gained my own voice, gained my own thoughts, our vision has changed and we have to innovate much more. We're trying to build a company that does 200 million ARR. And instead of imitating, we've got to innovate, particularly on the core product. We've got to imitate on non-core business functions. And so we're not rethinking the wheel for how we run our books or how we do our accounting or how we do customer service or you know, a lot of these kind of peripheral type parts of the company. I wouldn't say peripheral, but things that are not our core offering, we generally just look at the great companies and try to do similar to what they do, but with our own culture and our own twist. But for our core offering, for our software that helps businesses increase website conversions, we've broken that down to first principles and said, we're trying to make people more money. We can do that through increasing the website conversion rate. What are all the different ways that can increase website conversion rate and make them more money and starting from there? So I would challenge you, you know, as you grow, what I've found is you've got to add more innovators to the mix and continue growing your core business around innovation. And that is something that I think everybody, depending on what you are trying to accomplish, has to go do. In order to innovate, in order to break something down into first principles, you have to truly know something. And so what's another mental model? I'm going to share a mental model that I've kind of used, a mental framework and building your mental tree around a subject. And so the mental model that I use to learn new things deeply and quickly is that of a tree. 
typically when people think about, you know, or learn about something, they learn what I kind of call are the branches or the fruit of the tree. And learning parts of a system typically are like the branches and the fruit. You know, for a startup, that might mean learning all the different periphery things. It might mean learning all the facts about something. You know, right now, I I know I would say not a whole lot about my car. I have a Hyundai Sonata, and I know you know about some of the periphery things. I know kind of what the different parts are. I could even like say some lingo about what's inside the engine, but really, I just know the periphery. I know the fruit. I know what's clearly visible about the tree. Maybe you've met someone that knows a ton of facts. But doesn't seem to have much true wisdom. You know, they can say, you know, hey, what's your MRR? What's your AR? But they don't really know what makes a startup work. And so, how have I used this at Proof? Because kind of the opposite of the branches is that you've got to know what the trunk is. And so, a key part whenever I'm learning something new here is I don't try to learn the branches at first. Because what you find is if the, if you just have the branches and no trunk and no roots, the branches don't have anything to hold on to, and it's really hard to remember what all the different branches are. It's really hard to understand how something works if you don't have the core of it. So anytime I learn something new, I start to say, okay, here's all the different branches. Here's the things that I know. Let's break those things down. What are those things hanging on to? What do I need to know underneath all of those different branches? To make sense of this whole thing, and I start with learning the trunk. So if I'm learning about a car, I'd start and I'd say, "Hey, what really is making the engine work? How do the pistons work? How does the gas get injected into the piston? How does it get ignited? How many pistons are there?" And then kind of work out from there. And what I'd find is, as you do that, and you kind of start with first principles and go to the trunk and the core of the problem, you start to learn about you know the steering wheel, and you've got a a trunk to hang that branch on. When you learn about the exhaust system, the exhaust system doesn't make sense unless you understand what's happening with the pistons. So if you learn it backwards, you got nothing to hang the exhaust on, and that's just a pipe on the back of your car. I think this was me in startups and me and running our business for a long time. Is I kind of knew all the different lingo and I knew generally what we were doing, but I didn't really understand truly what is a business, what is a startup trying to do. And as I've studied that, as I've looked into businesses, I've looked into P&L sheets and balance sheets and just tried to understand what, what are we truly trying to do here at its most core level, everything else I'm learning makes a ton of sense. I can start to look at marketing and people say, oh, you're supposed to do marketing this way. And I've been able to say, well, I, that doesn't fit into my system and my understanding of the core system of a business here. And so we're going to do marketing a different way, or we're going to do customer success a bit differently. I'm not just copying people anymore. I truly understand what we're trying to do. So how have we used this at Proof? It seems like every day we stop and we ask, what are we really trying to do here? And what's the best way, given what we have available and given what we know, to accomplish this goal? And our goal at Proof is to make the internet delightfully human. To do that, we want to create a company that hits 200 million annual run rate. And about six months ago, I looked at our company, I looked at what we had, and I realized that when you broke down our company into its constituent parts, we really were not on track to do that. So we made a huge shift recently I want to kind of share. And so as I looked at our company about six months ago, here's what I found as I broke it down into its constituent parts. So the good, we had a very thoughtful and talented team. Love our team. I think our team is just one of the best things we have going. So we had that going for us. Secondly, we had strong domain expertise and conversion rate optimization and digital marketing. Three, we had YC backing and plenty of cash in the bank 
And four, we had plenty of motivation. We're not going anywhere. We're willing to roll up our sleeves, work hard, and solve big problems. That's what we had that was really good. The not so good is we had 3,000 customers, which is actually pretty good, but they were in a small and volatile market. We were serving mostly small businesses. Some of them would come and go, you know, close down for the summer. It was just this really volatile kind of non-market almost that, that we've been serving. Um, and it, it wasn't allowing us to scale very far. Secondly, we had a good but not great product that increased conversion rate, and it really works. You know, con- for, you know, across our customers, probably increased conversion rate 10 to 15%. NPS hovering around 40, which again is, is good, not great. We typically we would want that over 50. Uh, number three, we had a high monthly churn. You know, and so no matter what we have done over the you know course of the last two years, we haven't been able to get our churn down to about one to three percent monthly is where we want that. Um, we've been able to, to do a lot of damage on that and actually been able to improve that a ton, but we hadn't been able to get that down to where we wanted it to. And number four is we had what was becoming a painful amount of tech debt in some places. Not everywhere, but we just made some decisions early on before we you know knew a lot of what proof was going to become that we're becoming painful to iterate on and painful to change. And for me, I kind of stopped. I looked back and, you know, we're making great money, um, profitable. You know, a lot of things were looking really good and people were saying, hey, this business is great. But I realized we were trying to build a rocket ship that would take us to Mars. Like Elon, our goal wasn't anything less than let's build this huge company. As I stepped back and I looked at it, we were flying a pretty good plane that we could keep pushing up higher and higher into the sky, but ultimately we wouldn't and we couldn't imagine it leaving orbit. We had been adding incremental improvements to the product. Churn had been dropping some. The product was getting better, but ultimately we felt like we were just making a faster horse when what we needed was the quantum leap to create a car. And so even though things were going pretty well, I broke it down to first principles. I said, we cannot rebuild this into a rocket ship. We don't know how. I stepped back, I examined the parts, and I realized that yeah, what we were doing wasn't on the right path. And as I started to study these other companies and these other great startups that we were trying to be similar to, I realized what goes into a great startup that creates long-lasting value in the world. And and here's what I kind of came up with. One, they have a new innovative product that serves a big need for a large market. Two, the product would typically be characterized by low customer churn net negative revenue churn, so basically churn that expands and grows every single month, even if you don't add new customers, an NPS score of 50 or above, and a product market for a product market fit score of 40% or above, which for those of you guys that aren't familiar with the PMF score, product market fit score, basically you ask all of your customers, how disappointed would you be if you could never use proof again? Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or not disappointed. And you want 40% of your customers to say very disappointed if you can never use your product again. And what they found is across a lot of different companies, people that or companies that have that percentage over 40 typically have product market fit and can start to scale there. We've done this before with our customers. It's about 32%. So again, good, not great. We need to get this up to 40%. And so what we decided to do is shift gears. We decided to step back and say, okay, instead of just kind of incrementally improving this product, we are going to shift gears and radically change what we're doing here. And I'm going to talk about that more in some of the coming episodes here as we shift into a new product called Experiences. And so to kind of bring it all together here, there are really three steps to first principles thinking. 
I want you guys to kind of follow this, write this down, think about this. Step one is identify and write down your existing assumptions. Step two is break down the problem into its fundamental basics. And step three, build new solutions using the first principles there. Build your knowledge trunk for each subject. Avoid the tactics and just really do the hard mental work of breaking your subject down into its individual components. And then step back frequently and ask, why are we doing this? What are we trying to achieve? How could I solve this 10 times better or faster than we were already thinking before? And that, my friends, will help you be a better thinker, have clarity of mind, clarity of thought, and you can use your brain and first principles thinking as a weapon to grow faster than you ever thought and to beat all of your competitors. All right, with that, I will see you guys next one. Please, please, please leave a review, hit the five stars, smash that button, and uh, give us some good love here because we have been on the new and noteworthy for the last six weeks, and we're trying to stay on there, and uh, every little bit helps in the iTunes algorithm. All right, thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you here soon. Peace.